Hi, everyone. Back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Unscripted, Peter? I would say that's definitely true, but interesting. Why don't we let our listeners decide on that one? What we are here to do, folks, is share with you our thoughts and perspectives on the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or just what's going on in the industry. And now over to our episode. Let's go. We need to break the ice here because I was unceremoniously dropped from the last podcast. You weren't dropped, you were skipped. You know how they're now suggesting that the next Fed hike is not going to happen, it's going to be skipped. (laughs) They're not saying it's going to be- They're not saying it's a pause? Or dropped, they're saying skipped. And all we did is skip you for a session. And 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 wait, does that mean that after the skip, everything goes back? Like, so the Fed's going to start raising rates again? There's a potential for that, yes. So after the skip, I'm back in. Potentially. And and that's what this is right here. We're going to evaluate, though, the market conditions before we decide whether that's the case or not. I would say I'd call this a trial, period. Okay. All right. (laughs) I'm just telling you that the market wants me back. And so if you want to listen to the market, that's my only comment. All right. And you, well, and you well, know who listeners, wanted me back. Please so. let us know. We're already live with this, Peter. So listeners, please send in your feedback. Peter needs it. He needs to know whether you want him. He needs to I mean, know whether it, it, he, he's... His, your idea is, of the market, your sample set is two people. It's small, but important. And <laughs> it, it also, my reaction could also have to do with the fact that I'm on a cleanse and a reset Can at we the talk moment. about that for a second? So what is, is this day four or five? Four. Is this your last day? Day four. Okay. Tomorrow is my last day. Okay. I'm feeling energetic, happy, fit. And so can you just tell our listeners what this actually means? So listeners, just so you know, I had a meeting with Peter on Zoom on Tuesday of this week. We're now at Friday. It was kind of a midday meeting. He was drinking out of a Pyrex measuring cup, like a large one. And it looked like broth. Turns out I was right. It was bone broth. So he's on a broth based cleanse moment in life. And I was very worried for the rest of the week, not knowing whether the hangry would come out. Quite the opposite, actually. I've been very pleasant to deal with and in a very good mood. All right. This is from Chroma Wellness. I'm not a paid sponsor, but check it out. There's a lot of bone broth, smoothies, matcha lattes. So it's pretty interesting. And this was actually uh, a securities finance recommendation to you, correct? Someone in the market is the Uh, one that uh, turned you on to this? Someone in the market, very near and dear to both of us, Uh suggested another one, which I didn't like, and then suggested this one. So yes, I will definitely give kudos to that person for that recommendation. Well, that person suggested the other one to me and I tried it. It was supposed to be a seven day journey. And basically day one, hour three, I failed miserably and gave up after that. That's very telling. Very yes, telling. You should was. give kudos to that person because that's the only person still listening at this point. <laughs> so Jim, right. and if that's Let's true, why don't you say some stuff that's helpful and interesting to the listeners? I can't add anything on a cleanse, Peter, and how exciting that world is. But I can talk about securities lending, which is really exciting. Unbelievably. <laughs> the three of us did CASLA, which was the Canadian securities lending conference. It's short I actually sleep. wasn't there yeah. for the record. Brooke wasn't just, there. Just to know. I mean, not that you noticed. I was That's like, like in its Jim. own right. That's in Peter was book. annoying me doubly. So it felt like <laughs> you were both there. No, my bad. Sorry. 
from my perspective and from what we do, it feels like that market has really become a funding hub. So it's purely financing. I guess if you think about specials in that market, it's very thin at this point post the cannabis play, which was a huge one for years, but now it's gone. And so a lot of the conversations we had up there were around ways to build what amounts to GC trades, but there's plenty of volume. There's a lot of interesting trade ideas, solutions for brokers, solutions for clients who are looking for cash or other particular axes. So I thought it was a pretty good conference. Glad I went. And I like that it's only two days. Speakers were great. Topics were great. As you know, this is a conference really made more for your side of the world, but there were some good beneficial owners in Canada. It's interesting because there are a lot of really sophisticated names in the top tier that often do a lot of things directly. So -hmm. there are a lot of people that are engaged in this topic. There was some really great GPFA discussion, a lot of discussion on peer-to-peer, obviously regulation, indemnification, things like that were big. It was a great conference. So- The other conference that we have upcoming in a few weeks time is ISLA. And obviously that's a big one for a lot of the market. I think they have well over 600 people registered at this point. And I'm sure there'll be a lot that will be in the region anyway, attending and meeting with folks. But I think that's going to be an interesting event. Jim, you're obviously going to be attending that as well. What's your take on that in advance? Yep. It seems to be the best attended ISLA since well before COVID. I hope to get a lot out of it. We're sending three of us from the trading team and have 20 odd meetings set up for that week. So looking forward to it. I think a lot comes of it. It's a busy time of year for us in general. So, yeah. And so speaking of it being a busy time of year, can we first start with that and then maybe talk about the broader market? So we are now in the height of our spring, early summer auction season Mm. And our auctions are coming now fast and furious. It feels like one a week now for a little while. So we're starting to get a lot more market commentary color based upon the bidding activity. I know we're only a few in now at this point to this heightened period of auctions, but what's your general reaction on exclusive bidding activity and demand interest coming from the dealer community? Yeah, I think it's interesting. The year over year, the fees are up but marginally, 5, 10, 15% those bids. But the participation that we're seeing is from people we haven't seen participate before. We're seeing it in asset classes that certain primes and dealers hadn't bid in, in our exclusives before. We're seeing literally guys we don't talk to say nothing and then on auction day come in and say they've been doing work and they're going to put a bid in. And so why? Like, what is it? I think I was telling you, Peter, I hear from some of the brokers, there's what 50 odd that we're on with. And some of them just don't buy exclusives. And so when I talk to them, they say, oh, you guys are still doing exclusives? Yes, we are. It's very, very active. And those conversations have gone away. And now people are asking me about exclusives. I think an exclusive could be viewed as just in general, could be viewed as an RWA workaround. You lock in on that RWA with a particular client, as opposed to being in an Omni somewhere else, could help with LCR kind of leverage ratios, whether you view an exclusive as a term commitment or not, or whether you have the opinion that could be term. I think with T1 coming and the concern about recalls, the idea of an exclusive, and I don't know how it fits yet. We've got a T1 working group here at ESEC, and I'm sure there are similar groups across the street. And so over the next year, we'll get more and more involved in it. But I think a lot of people are looking at exclusives and wondering, can they be part and parcel to a solution for T1? Re-rate volatility is as high as I've ever seen it, which is great because that typically means we can get market quicker on old loans. But if you flip that and the guys we deal with, that creates volatility to their business model. 
And if they have situations where they can't pass those rates along to their customer base, they need to somehow smooth it out. And an exclusive is a great way to do that, where you pay up front and you apply that fee somewhere else other than on the loan. So it could be M&A, which I do want to talk about deals and M&A is a little bit more active lately. And I think just that, the concept of M&A and IPOs and one-off event-driven opportunities to short a stock or to be short a stock, where you look at it today and you don't see it in the value of that portfolio, but you know it has the probability or the chance to become special, that premium that folks assign to that piece of it is higher today than it was a year ago. So I am actually really excited about where we are from an exclusive standpoint. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. That broadening of participation, is yeah. that asset class specific or is that across asset classes? It's a great question. It's across asset classes, but it's not giving us new asset classes that fit well in an exclusive. So, you know, small cap still fits well, ID markets, any market where you're difficulty, it's illiquid or you can't fail on a return. Fixed income, high yield in particular is really, really hot now. So that broadening of participation has not changed what they're looking at. It's just instead of getting five or six bids, we're getting 10 bids from different people. So the spring for us is generally we do some all market auctions in Taiwan. We do high yield and we do fixed income in the spring, but we're really focused on DTC product for the most part gets done in the spring. We're two or three auctions into it. I think we have more than one a week in June. The participation has been great. I'm really surprised. I mean, getting phone calls on auction day saying I'm going to participate. You know, we market to them, but we don't get any color back from them. We typically focus on the dealers who we know are going to have to put a bid in. And then we're getting these phone calls. Not entirely sure there's one reason why that's happening. It's that myriad of reasons that I listed and possibly just the expectations of the market becoming more and more special. So it's always I, nice that when you throw a party, people show up. So it feels like a good trend. But yes. I have a question. At the beginning of your statement, you talked about premiums year over year in that five to 10 range. So like your whole point was, is that the premiums, we're seeing a bit of an improvement year over year, but that's not necessarily the material takeaway. But can you just for our listeners, because a lot of people probably listening don't have the same familiarity with how we run auctions and sort of how we make decisions, but that doesn't reflect a five to 10% versus sort of a discretionary market activity. That is probably comparing to what our auction premiums would have been same time a year prior. Can you talk about though, when we make decisions around the auctions and exclusives, how we're thinking about awards versus the discretionary market and the types of built-in bid premiums that we almost require in order to hit an exclusive and how that can maybe vary a bit by asset type too? Yeah. And you're correct. I was describing not the premiums that we get, but the increase in premiums year over year. And so, yep, we'll price the desk. Our trading desk will say, this is how we see this portfolio of assets or these funds or this market trading in our discretionary program here today. And then we auction it and we use that as a benchmark to measure all the bids that we receive against and not just against themselves. And so many times a market develops as you get bids and we'll see two or three bids above where we think it's at and two or three below. Many times you could have more below where we're at and just a handful of outliers really depending on the market. 
it's case by case, Brooke, in terms of the criteria to say this would be a good award or this wouldn't be a good award. If there's concentration risk in terms of specials in a portfolio, that may dictate looking at it a little bit different than if it's not concentrated and spread out across 50 specials. And it's market dependent too. But generally, if it's a material difference, which in many cases it can be, we've talked about ranges in, in Asia, it can be well over 100% better than what you would do in discretionary for somebody to take that portfolio on an exclusive basis. And then in, in other spots, like US small cap is 30 or 40% premium, which in my opinion, if it's worth a million bucks and they're going to pay us a million three or a million four, that's a significant difference over the course of a year and across an entire portfolio of funds and markets. The RWA impact of who the lender is, what type of entity they are, and potentially dealers having different views on the same entity. How's that playing into who's willing to kind of pay up for exclusive access? The RWA, it varies by client. Like I think we talked about it on the last podcast. It varies by broker client combination. And what it really does is naturally filters out who's going to bid on which portfolio. So I don't know, Peter, that's a tough one. I don't know if I have a good answer for you other than somebody who sees a client at 100% RWA won't assign value to their GC when they bid on it in exclusive. And somebody who sees them as friendly or 20% would then assign value to it. And so we can see that in the bids post-auction. We can tell who has what opinion. Generally, you can without some outside bids. So it's really just a GC factor though. I mean, if it's a portfolio that's packed with specials, it's really not going to be a factor. It will be a factor. They may participate, but they're not going to assign value to that GC piece. And 95% of all portfolios are GC for the most part, right? If you just figure 5% specials. And I also think it just weeds them out up front. If you're looking at a portfolio of a thousand names, $2 billion thousand name portfolio that has 25 specials, that's a great portfolio. But Somebody who sees that client as a 100% probably doesn't want to buy it in an exclusive. They'll just borrow the names they need through discretionary programs across the street. Let's talk about corporate events. (laughs) All right. That's a great idea. I think the second half of 2023 is set up, and I'm not alone. I think a bunch of the dealers who we partner with on corporate action and corporate event trading feel the same way. There's a handful of potential deals in the second half that are pretty exciting. And I think the market has built up. There's a lot of activity that needs to come to the market and it hasn't happened. If you think about IPOs, the IPO market has been relatively dead, but it's actually happening organically through M&A. So we're seeing maybe in the healthcare space, there's a deal Johnson and Johnson carved out a piece of its business, KVUE, and they essentially carved it out and made it its own line. And it was an IPO and they still own 90 or 92% of the company. And the market expects the rest of that to be carved out towards the end of the year. So that's not a traditional IPO, but it's a way to affect the same thing an IPO does just in a market that doesn't want to take IPOs. And so deals like that in both other healthcare names, there's a handful of China tech giants, I would say, where they might do some carve out IPOs or different tactics. There's a list of probably 20 names that we're watching for IPOs. Tying it back to auctions and why people buy auctions, maybe it's that thought about, hey, there's a whole lot of M&A coming. This portfolio owns all these large caps, which have no real lending value outside of a little bit of GC, but they also are in a space where we think it's active in corporate events. And so they'll pay a premium up front in hopes that something hits there. Is that also a risk to locking it in? Like if something big happens that's unforeseen and kind of 
you know, yep. like the city trade or the vendee things like that yeah one-offs generally we have the ability to partner with our clients who buy exclusive so if it's something extraordinary like the city group trade or the vendee trade then we'll have discussions and that usually works itself out but yes it is a risk i think to capturing the sec lending value for our clients and that's why i'm saying factoring that risk in maybe our hurdle needs to be a little bit higher it's just something to think about. It might be over-engineering what's a relatively simple process, but it's, I think, worth just given the expectations for activity for that space in the second half of 2023 and probably beyond, I would guess, into 2024 as well. One other thing that we're getting out of exclusives today, which we had a few years ago, is market intelligence. We, almost every auction we hold now, there is a case where we pull one name out of a portfolio. For a particular reason, or we get bids on certain names in portfolios, just single name bids for a year, where somebody will offer you cents per share to borrow a stock or a fee for that stock for a year. And so that's one way of handling that risk, Peter, that I see a way that we still were able to capture the value that our model offers, auctioning portfolios and getting paid a premium to what you're going to get in discretionary. But if you're in touch with the market and have a good idea of what might be that special situation, pulling it out in advance. So I think that's a great example of how you guys do auctions where it's more art than science sometimes, right? Yeah. Where, and I think a lot of the market may perceive an auction as like, you just put it up there, it's bid, it goes automatically, but there's so much more that goes into it, right? Yep. How you carve it up, how you think about single names. And it often goes to more than one dealer a lot of auctions. So it does get breadth and depth of participation, even in execution. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the information we get when we get these one-off bids, and we just did in a recent auction, got a one-off bid, it gives us intelligence that the market doesn't have. And then we share it with our clients. I knew that value was there for ESEC as a discretionary trading house, the value of the auction, but never has it been as highlighted as it is today as we get these single name bids. It may be the exclusive market kind of maturing into the next stage, which might include more single names stock auctions or single name bids. I also think it's a sign of your maturing as well. When you first joined us, Jim, as kind of what you just alluded to it, but you were a little bit, I don't know that you were a skeptic on our auction process, but you definitely weren't a full believer like you are now in, in the commentary I, you just offered. So you've skeptic. come a long way also. I'll admit it. That's part of the seven steps. I'll admit it. I was a skeptic, <laughs> but no longer am I. It's I, part I of the seven steps of ESEC lending indoctrination that we do upon I, joining. Yes. Yes. All right. That, what else? I'm just happy else? to be here. <laughs> We're happy you're here, Peter. <laughs> I see this as like I'm a guest. I'm not really a host today. It, I mean, it's, like a, it's like a retrial. Well, we talked about that at the outset. It is sort yeah. of your retrial. We've invited you back in. You yeah. had a one podcast hiatus and, you know, it's like your identity has been lost or something. That reminds yeah. me, Brooke, call me after this yeah. and we yeah. can talk about Got it. By, by the way, we'll it's definitely. the listeners who vote. Okay. This is not the judges. <laughs> it's like the audience gets to vote. Feel free to reach out to me to place your votes and I will organize and tally them. And Peter, I'll let you know what the results are. How about that? I don't know. I might need a more independent <laughs> tally person. Listeners, it's been a good one. We hope to see you soon at the next industry conference and we hope you keep listening. Tune in, give us your feedback. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. 
And friends, don't forget to subscribe to East Linian Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based upon such information. Thank you for listening.